Welcome to the Horror Autopsy, where we dissect the vicious of horror to see what squishy insides exist. I'm Paolo. I'm Ed. And in the words of Slayer, welcome back. Welcome back, indeed. Name that song. Uh, you're asking the wrong guy. Fair, okay. Well, if anyone's listening, there will be a prize, so you can write in. Okay, yeah, write in, name that Slayer song, and Paolo will send you some uh, guitar strings or whatever else you call that his <laughs> bag when he arrived here today. Um, how are you, Paolo? Have you watched any horror movies recently? Mm, not much. I have seen stuff, but stuff. I've seen stuff. Okay. Stuff. Well, I've seen a couple in the technical sense. Um, I saw Alligator in uh, the 1980 film directed by Lewis, uh, something Canadian. Someone called Lewis. Lewis with a Canadian surname, starring Robert Foster. Uh, I thought I'd heard of it actually. Yeah, it's an uh, early-ish Robert Foster performance. Yeah, isn't it? R.I.P. 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 What a fun film. Okay. Because the film is actually not really about the alligator. There's an alligator obviously going around killing people, but the police think it's a serial killer. Um, so most of the film they think they're tracing a serial killer. Did the audience know that it's an alligator? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah, like yeah, a yeah, twist yeah. at the end. Yeah. <laughs> Surprise. Yeah, so the audience knows and the police don't. But there's just great characters. Like, people talk about, you know, if the script's bad, if movie's doomed. Yeah. For a film about a killer alligator, it's great fun. Okay. There's some really great characters and great dialogue. And you know, like in Jaws, it's not really about the bit, shark. Yeah, I think it sounds a bit like Jaws, but yeah. with an alligator. Yes, watch it. And then I rewatched uh, Brain Dead, okay. the Pete Jackson oh, film. That's, that's a good movie. Uh, a couple of people from work who are now listening to this. Ah, very good. Very good. Um, growing yeah. our brand. Growing our brand. I went round. I've been round a few times actually. We watched Brain Dead and then Dressed to Kill again. Oh God, no. <laughs> We've talked enough about Dress to Kill. Alex loves it. <laughs> Good for him. I don't, I don't, I'm not a fan, as we discussed last time. But Brain Dead, I like Brain Dead. Brain Dead's great. I haven't seen it since we were at uni, but it's very good. Very, I think even if you don't know Brain Dead, everyone's seen that scene where he takes out all the zombies with uh, the bottom of a lawnmower. Just one of the bloodiest and goriest yes. scenes ever put to film. And then, of course, Peter Jackson went on to make the Lord of the Rings movies. And which were, you know, some of it, I just love that his roots were in that a really like gory, schlocky kind of offbeat comedy horror movie, and then went on to make what a trilogy that are so many people's favorite movies, even though I can kind of take or leave Yeah, after watching Brain Dead, I, all I think is fuck Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I'm just not too into fantasy, I know most of you, um, but that's just me. But okay, okay, cool. Um, I watched a couple more uh, contemporary films uh, recently so there's a new Netflix movie called You Are Not My Mother have you heard of this? I, th I think just today okay actually. I think yeah. it, I only watched it a week ago or so and when I think that was the day it came on Netflix it's an Irish horror movie about a um, girl and her mum who have a sort of a bit of a rocky relationship a mum sort of suffering from some mental health issues and hasn't really been there for the daughter um, and then the mum goes missing for, a, I think, just an evening, and then comes back. Or is it her? 
and then it's this weird sort of creepy, like you know, um, uh, the Changeling, mm-hmm. um, who was it, um, Angelina Jolie movie where she loses her son, and then the son, not the, um, I'm sorry, not okay. the, I'm thinking of the original, not the original. I think it's not even a remake, but there's a movie, where, yeah, the Changeling, Angelina Jolie, her son goes missing, and then the son comes back, and it, but it's not her son. And this is kind of the same thing, but in reverse. Her mum comes back, but the daughter's like, there's just something off about her. the often weird things continue to escalate um, throughout the movie. And it's really good, really scary. Okay. Actually, okay. I uh, definitely recommend. And then I also watched Spree. Yeah, the, uh, the I've uh, seen Spree. footage yeah. car with um, the guy the from Stranger Things. The guy yeah, from Stranger Things. I have seen um, I don't know why it took me so long to watch it because I like the actor, uh, Joel Carey, who plays uh, Steve in Stranger Things. Um, and I did, I, I thought it was okay. I thought he was really, really good at it, how he sort of, the premise is that he's a, he's a, an, Uber, an Uber driver, but in this universe, the app is called Spree. So he's a spree driver, and then he goes on a killing spree, and he's obsessed with social media and sort of going viral, and this is going to be the thing that makes him viral. So it sort of functions like an episode of Black Mirror, almost, but a feature-length episode. It's a satire on social media and people who are obsessed with getting famous without any talent or without really doing anything and it had some it had some funny moments and good performances but it wasn't saying anything that hasn't been said uh, a dozen times before in lots of films and tv shows and general critique on social media i, f- I felt um it more reminded me of uh, female trouble the john waters from the second john waters film, okay where the vine goes on a killing spree to become famous and then uh, the okay. end jumping on a trampoline shooting people Okay, so yeah, it's still got a lot in common with that, mm. actually, yeah. Um, but both, yeah, perfectly fine movie. I enjoyed, yeah, again, I enjoyed his performance. He's got to sort of balance this, you know, awkward teen and also complete psychopath <laughs> and also still be quite likeable. It's very hard to do all those things at the same time, but he manages it quite well. Uh, but yeah, so those are my two. I'd say recommend, yeah, You Are Not My Mother is definitely the superior film. Okay. I'd recommend either of these, I'd say. Yeah, I don't think Spree's just a, like, a, just a cut above average. One thing I will say about it is, you know, in found footage movies, you get to a certain point where you're like, why, is, why are you still recording at this point? Not only is it always clear why people are recording, even if it is someone who's recording themselves all the time, so will always be recording no matter what, but there's the post-credit sequence, his footage goes online, then like in the sort of dregs of Reddit and other dark parts of the internet he becomes like a, a renowned figure and someone finds all the footage and puts it together and then the movie restarts so I thought that was a nice touch mm-hmm. I like that mm-hmm. but anyway we're not talking about that this week this week as it's Pride Month although when we release this episode it won't, it won't be Pride Month anymore but we're recording this in Pride Month we are doing a queer horror episode find the skeletons in your closet <laughs> very, very good did you write that down? I did <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, as usual, we were comparing two movies and discussing them. And remember, spoilers are here. Yes, we'll say that right now. Spoilers for both of these movies, uh, which are um, A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Freddy's Revenge. Freddy's Revenge, Revenge. released in 1985 and directed by Jack Shoulder. That's right. And then also we'll be talking about Jennifer's Body, which came out in 2009 Directed by Kieran Casamar and written, I don't think I said that right, uh, but, and written by Diablo Cody. Mm, great name. Diablo Cody, yeah. yeah. I actually looked it up thinking that can't possibly be a real name. It is a real name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you want to talk a bit about queer horror in general? I felt, I mean, you, you picked this episode, but 
as a gay guy, I felt it was appropriate sure. for you to take the lead in the discussion of this. Thank you. Not to gatekeep gay or horror, as I literally messaged you last you did night. Say that. Because straight men have a say in this. It's okay. We do? Okay. Cool. We're inclusive. That's nice. We never get invited to stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Queerness and horror can be tracked back to universal horror usually in an umbrella term as coded. Directors of most of these classic movies, such as Frankenstein and Old Dark House, James Whale directed both, obviously didn't write Frankenstein, was an openly gay man okay. in uh, you know, the, the, the early 30s, which is wow. yeah, quite, yeah, quite, quite a shocking thing. Yeah. Um, and considering he made movies as well, was even more shocking. Yeah. So Old Dark House is considered the first horror film with coded subtext. Much like Rebecca, where you have the sort of... Uh, who was the caretaker in um, Rebecca? I can't remember. Similar character in The Old Dark House. Okay. And playing within the gothic tropes and a lot of what Universal Horror was dealing with was the existential representation of inner feelings and thoughts, which kind of also worked closely with uh, German Expressionism, uh, kind of started to code gay characters within film. Annoyingly... The past couple of days looking over sort of queer in horror, didn't, there isn't much direct or overt gay horror. I couldn't really think of much when you suggested this episode. The, the first one we're talking about is the obvious go-to sort of, you know, queer horror classic. And we'll discuss a lot more in detail in a few minutes about that. But yeah, there weren't that many other films which um, really jumped out, to be honest. Mm. We had, um, someone we spoke about before, um, Kenneth Anger. Yes. Which again, I'm saying not horror adjacent, surrealist and like acidic yeah. in tone. And then obviously the work of John Waters, but these were still yes. cult movies and like midnight films. Yeah. Um, there were gay actors within certain low budget movies like Messiah of Evil, uh, used quite a famous gay icon at the time. But it wasn't really until we get to the film we're covering today, which is A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2. Freddy's Revenge. And uh, just to sound more like a snowflake, I remember this film specifically. Um, my mum let me watch on video. This right. was the first one of her like videos that she had. Uh, and it was a real sort of game changer, both in terms of, um, like, I guess, my love for horror. And I remember finding at the time, uh, Jesse, who we go to, quite attractive. Yeah. It was one of my first sort of like crushes. So it was a, it was a cool okay. mishmash of... How old were you when you first watched it? Oh, I, um, I was still at school. Year eight. No, 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 I can't be right. No, because my mum was embarrassed to let me watch it. This must have been like year six. Like, I was going to say. Yeah, okay. Year six, so like so. ten-ish. Yeah, ten or like, Yeah, yeah, it would have been ten. Year so six made me nothing. Yeah. So yes, yes. You're, I was, ten, you're about ten years old. I was about old ten years old. I was about ten years old. Okay. Yeah, give or take. So, um... Let's get into Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge. Someone is coming back to Elm Street. He is not friendly. He is not patient. Kill for me! And he is not a welcome visitor. No! 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 But he has something terribly special for the new kid on the block. It started to happen again. Dad! I'm in trouble. You've had some scary dreams, okay? Help! Daddy can't help you now. There's something inside him. Fight him! You are not afraid of him. He doesn't even exist. Freddy Krueger is back on Elm Street. Watch out for him. We'll be in your
your neighborhood soon. A Nightmare on Elm Street, Part 2. You are all my children now. Freddy's Revenge. <laughs> Nightmare on Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge, is a 1980 horror sequel directed by Jack Shoulder, who is famous for directing Alone in the Dark, not the Uwe Boll adaptation <laughs> of the video game, but a horror comedy with Donald Pleasance. Oh, okay. Um, the Terrible Arachnid, which I have seen, as in the film's terrible and it's called Arachnid. Yeah. It's terrible. And Wishmaster 2, which I've not seen. Okay, um, I haven't seen any of those. Oh, Wishmaster's good. Wes Craven produced. Stars Matt, uh, Mark Patton, who we'll get onto later. Kim Mayers, who is the um, Meryl Streep lookalike, I think. Oh, his girlfriend. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Um, and of course, Robert England playing Freddy Krueger. Produced by Robert Shea, the man who built um, New Line Cinema, which is the production company that is considered the house that Freddy built. And based on the characters by the late Wes Craven. Uh, the film follows Jesse Walsh, played by Mark Patton, a teenager who begins having recurring nightmares about Freddy Krueger after moving into the former home of Nancy Thompson from the first film. After suffering these recurring nightmares, the nightmare becomes reality. Shock horror, body possession starts to seep in from the dream world into Jesse's real life. No one around him believes him apart from his girlfriend, who tries tooth and nail to save her beloved boyfriend from Freddy's revenge. So initially the film was poorly received by, actually even in pre-production, Wes Craven hated it. He didn't like the idea of a second Freddy movie, he thought it should have been self-contained, told everyone that bringing Freddy out of the nightmare dream world was just completely Well, this is one of my sort of, um, I guess, critiques, more question uh, it, about this movie, that in A Nightmare on Elm Street, the original, they set up Freddy's powers and that he can only exist when people are dreaming. And to be fair, that kind of goes, chuck that out the window at the very end of the movie when he, um, well, actually, I won't spoil that one because we're just doing spoilers for um, the two films we're talking about. But in this, yeah, Freddy is just running around, doing whatever he likes, killing people when everyone is completely awake. So they do completely change the rules and the law of Freddy and his powers. And I don't know how much going forward in the franchise they sort of stick to that or what they do with the whole dream, you know, him existing within people's dreams. I've seen, I know when I'm shooting three, the one after this, uh, but I haven't seen the rest. You've seen New Nightmare. Oh, yeah, I've seen New Nightmare, yeah. To counteract that, I feel, because the film, the first one, ends, as you're saying, throwing the rule out the window. And I yeah. feel this one just picks up the gauntlet and just runs with the thrill I think changing. you're right, yeah. Though I'm very biased, I know. And you could argue that rules that they come up with in the first one, it's kind of the characters deciding that's what this, you know, that's what Freddy can do. It's you know, We don't know that for certain, and maybe in... in in the franchise, Freddy Krueger has more powers that we're not aware of, and he's not just defined for people's dreams. Again, we're playing devil's advocate. It's probably just lazy writing, but... I actually disagree. Okay. Um, because initially, pre-production began in April of uh, 1985, and the idea for the initial film was going to be a pregnancy and possession plot device. And the concept was a homage to Rosemary's Baby, with the plot that new family moves into the home, a teenage boy, pregnant mother, and a stepfather. And apparently it was going to be more physical and realistic because the dream stuff was less centred around the films. But the idea was thrown out because one of the producers from New Line had just had a baby and didn't like uh, the idea. Okay. Whatever. So uh, David Chasnick, 
the writer of the existing Nightmare on Elm Street 2 was brought on, who is an openly gay man. Okay. Hence the queerness begin. So David Chaskin, while writing this, started to see a lot of homophobia back in the 80s. AIDS, which we'll get onto, um, unfortunately. And he was worried that kind of the sudden move towards conservatism within America. Yeah. A lot of young men quite liked horror movies. So he kind of saw it, this as an opportunity to code the film as gay. Yeah. To try and get straight bros on okay. the gay side, basically. Sure. Okay. Though, if only it was that simple, because during the, really, actually for the past maybe 40 years, 35 years of this film, he's denied any of that until recently. Because yeah. Mark Patton, uh, this film basically destroyed his life. He got mm. diagnosed with HIV afterwards. That's the, the lead actor. Right? Yeah, it's yeah. basically tanked his career and yeah. became like an interior designer. Really? <laughs> Which, okay. he's, he's also gay, isn't Yes, yeah. yeah. He's still alive. He's still alive. Okay. So the script would follow... Um, a family that moves into Nancy's house, Nancy being the final girl from the last film. The oldest son, Jesse, played by Mark Patton, um, as we were saying, is terrified by dreams. Best kind of one is the uh, when he wakes up and he's got the glove claw over his sister and Freddie pulls his head back and goes, you've got the body, I've got the brain. That's good, me. yeah. So the subtext, really, as we've been talking about everything but that, is, is oozing within this film. Yes, there's so much gay subtext in this film. Within Purposefully. The, yeah, Purposefully. It, it, I, it's so undeniable. Like It's so there. It's throughout the entire film. There's no way... So, Jesse it is glistening with sweat in the, the entire movie, and it's mostly topless. But no, like, well, you first see him in just a pair of white yeah, underwear. And he's just sort of, his shirt is always completely undone. He's always showing his torso for no discernible reason within the film. Mm. Um, there's the relationship he has with Grady, Crazy. who they get in a, initially they're playing football, they get in a fight. Grady pulls his trousers down, and then they proceed to wrestle in front of everyone. He also has got a jock strap on. Yeah, yeah, I know. There's a dance sequence with Jesse. Yeah. Um, later on, he's dancing around his room he goes to a gay bar which we'll get onto in a bit yeah. um, and that's not even mentioning this is just sort of in the first half hour before the real horror starts you know like after Freddy starts to possess him that's another way they sort of change from the original movie this becomes a possession movie I wrote down some of the lines uh, that he says so there's something inside of me there's something trying to get inside of me you're trying to sleep with me he's inside me and he wants to take me again this is Word for word, some mm -hmm. of the dialogue mm -hmm. in the film. Well, yeah. even the tagline, the man of your dreams is back. It's so coded. It's 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 so wonderfully coded. Like you were saying, the well, we might as well start with the uh, the gay bar. Uh, yeah. That he somehow shows up in. I'm assuming under this sort of like trance. And uh, the big change up is this is more of a body horror film. Yeah. Freddy Krueger more serves as uh, subtext and as connotation as you know repressed sexual, at least repressed at very best repressed bisexual. Uh, feelings, but yeah. you know, I think it's more obvious gay feelings, gay, you know, repressed. I'd gay say feelings. so because they do sort of keep the relationship with his girlfriend because he's got a sort of girlfriend throughout the film, and I quite, I like their relationship actually. And she is it's very wholesome. It's some very, might say it's, it is very wholesome. She's he does seem fairly indifferent towards her. She is seemingly completely head over heels in mm. love with him, um, and they do sleep to get they. There's a scene at the party where they start to sleep together. And we'll then, get to and, that. We'll get to that. And we'll then Freddie shows up. And it, I, I think you're right. I think... Um, I, I didn't know the screenwriter was gay, actually. Mm. Uh, and it's a shame that he denied all sort of... Um, all, all of the homosexual subjects well, I think that she put in. He worried that people would then realise... Yeah. You know, that he had just... 
put a big gay rocket straight into the American <laughs> mainstream. It, it, like you say, it, it's very overt and it's everyone immediately sort of um, picked up on it as soon as the film was released. Mm-hmm. Um, critics, audiences, everyone, because it's like the filmmakers. Exactly. Yeah. So the director as well, he denied. Yes. Any Even to this day, he said he has yeah. no idea how he didn't know. But but Robert England's really open about it and said, yeah, you know. Um, we all knew it was gay. If anyone, because we don't have four and a half hours, if anyone really wants to uh, know about this, there's a documentary called um, On Elm Street, which is on YouTube, and it's like nine hours long. And yeah. it's a documentary about every single nightmare movie. Okay. And of course, they spend about an hour on the gay subtext in this. And there's also a documentary called Scream Queen that stars Mark Patton. Is all about his life after Nightmare 2, okay. um, which I'd recommend. But um, we might as well start with the with the S&M bar, really. Jesse shows up at a kind of a cool-looking S&M punk club, really, yeah. and the asshole gym leader happens to be there in a full leather machismo. Yes. So they, they hint at this early on, that the, the gym teacher who keeps getting them to do push-ups in the mud uh, is gay, and that's why he's asking him to... That's why he's making them run around and all that, um, and then... Lo and behold, he finds him at an S&M gay bar. Mm-hmm. And takes him back to school. Yeah, that's weird, isn't it? Which yeah. is a bit odd. Um, I thought there was some weird, like, weird entity. I was like, well, why, why are they back at school? What's To get him to run around the gym. Yeah. On a technical level, I do have quite a lot of issues with this film. I'll, I will say that. We can get to that more at the end. But uh, So, yeah, that he takes him back to school. Is this the first kill of the movie? Yes. And of course, as he's making his student run round, he's looking through all the accoutrements, if you like, of a gymnasium. And everything starts to shake. He's still awake, so this is, again, the possession. Basically, somehow gets his all of his clothes torn off and yeah. strapped up in a shower <laughs> yeah. and a towel whipping his ass. I know. Oh, my God. It's too much. It's so good. It's, it's so, so good. He even gets balls so fired at him. I know, yeah. Balls <laughs> fired yeah. um, And despite all of this sort of like camp fun, I think this is really talking about and addressing um, AIDS, really. You know, what was considered once in, you know, San Francisco meetup culture in shower rooms and um, saunas, mm-hmm. now a place of death because the character is then killed by Jesse. Yeah. Uh, I even did find with it... his bondage position, you know, this was all about the breakdown of yeah. the gay community. I did feel it was significant that the first character to die in the movie was not only a gay character, but like you say, someone who's at this S&M bar who was sort of into pickup culture and is, argu- is possibly like not out either you get the mm. impression because he's a school teacher and a gym mm. teacher he may well be closeted as well because mm-hmm. it talks about homophobia without talking about it mm. um, and I think it's really great I was half expecting Al Pacino to sort of be in the <laughs> background somewhere you picked up on it with the uh, his relationship with Grady uh, and talking about the scene where the, the only time Jesse and his girlfriend are intimate they're about to do the deed and a man's tongue comes out of Jesse's yeah. mouth being Freddy Krueger and within an edit. He somehow ended up at uh, Grady's yeah. house talking about how a man was again to his body and Grady's like, well, you want to sleep with me? Yeah. To which then leads into, which I, I think the last 20 minutes of this film is great, by the way. Okay. Um, but I feel that is the real sort of steamy sex scene in the film because Grady's quite attractive. There's way more male nudity. I don't think there's any female no, nudity no, in this no, film at, at all. all. No, it's all, it's all male butts and torso mm-hmm. and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's great. I think it's, it's, it's a really knowingly queer film. And I think that's what puts it in, I think, the, the echelons of a queer masterpiece. Written by a queer individual, depicting the, the, trial, the trials and tribulations of growing up gay at school. It's, um, and using Freddy Krueger as a metaphor, which, I, again, much like, I know we talked about Halloween in, like, episode two or three. Yeah. 
there's always that one film in a big series that is like the, the standout, the one that is just a bit odd and off the wall. And it would be interesting yeah. to see where they went with Freddy in a more surrealist sense, uh, which then works so well when they bring in the body horror in this film. There's some very good body horror. Very great effects. I yeah. think still hold up pretty yeah, well, actually. Really, yeah, all, all practical. All practical. All the best uh, effects are practical. Where Freddy pulls his, mm. his, his scalp off and his brain, but the grand feast of this film is where Jesse's skin and body falls apart and Freddy yeah. finally is released after when uh, the sexual tension between those two become too much and almost uh, Grady kicks Jesse out of his bed. He doesn't let him sleep in his bed and you could argue that is the end point. And in the Freudian sense, stabbing him in the chest with uh, what, Freddy's, long... Freddy's claws. Full of Freddy's claws, you know, there's, yeah. a, there's a Freudian sexual element. And then obviously the next shot is his dad looking in horror as his son's being penetrated. Yeah. You don't have to yeah, look too deeply yeah, into yeah, this. Yeah. Which then leads to, I think, one of the greatest horror quotes where I was like, you're all my children now. In yeah, the, in the, good, yeah. What a great <laughs> scene. And Freddy, I think, is designed better in this because he was made in this one to look more like a witch. After he um, did that yeah, brilliant practical effect body horror scene where Freddy Krueger bursts from Jesse's chest. He then goes downstairs and just starts... There's a party going on downstairs and he just starts killing people. Mm. He just starts running around and um, stabbing people and throwing people over stuff, <laughs> setting fires. And this is the point where I was like, okay, so Freddy is only supposed to exist in people's dreams, but everyone can see him at this point. Or are they just seeing Jesse running around and killing people? And because he's possessed by Freddy Krueger, we, the audience, are seeing Freddy Krueger. This was the point where I was like, I don't know exactly how this is supposed to be working in terms of like getting into the um, the lore of the film, I suppose. Did it bother you? Um, a little bit, mm -hmm. to be honest. Yeah, I would have, I think I wanted a bit more. So in terms of what I'd like and don't like about this movie, I think it's a fantastic, like you say, it is a queer masterpiece. I can't think of any other horror films which deal with homosexuality and sexual repression so overtly and so well. A few films sort of tackle it. I was like horror films which use the medium to tackle difficult subjects. And you, you see a lot of them these days, like The Babadook, like uh, It Follows or The Witch and um, a lot of re recent really good horror films, which you know some people refer to as elevated horror. That term is bullshit, as we've established. But not as many films did it in the sort of 70s and 80s. Um, so I like that this film does. So in terms of things I don't like about this film, I think the acting is overall pretty poor. Uh, what, what's the actor's lead name? Mark Patton. Mark Patton. I think he's quite rubbish at this film. Um, and mostly the performances are. Like you're saying, the editing and the sort of the pacing is a bit all over the place. Suddenly he leaves the room and suddenly he's just there at this other party. Um, and the stuff in terms of is Freddie possessing him? Is Freddie just running around doing his own thing at this point? And that's not explained. I I don't have an issue with the fact that it's not spelled out directly with a you know big exposition dump like a lot of films would do. But I wish it was discussed a little bit more in the film and we had a bit more to go on. See, I feel it's a double-edged sword because you could argue the duality between Freddie and Jesse and the audience not knowing is the sort of his two lives. You know, there's his secret subconscious life yeah. we see as Freddie and then hit Jesse's friends and associates see the monster after okay. he's come out. Okay, um, okay. I like that interpretation. 
actually. I didn't quite pick up on that. Okay, cool. And even at the beginning, uh, which starts off, of course, with the dream sequence. The school bus. The school yeah. bus. And he's got the, the you know, the combed over hair and the black highlighter and yeah. the sort of geeky glasses. You tell there's a lot bigger budget in this movie than the previous one, I'd say. I'm going to go on a controversial one. I think this one's better made in terms of technical... I mean, they, they, they definitely had more money, didn't they? Yes. And it showed. It showed. certainly a lot more glossy. Also, one of the few films, and again, I think, just harking back to some of the subtext, Jesse is the only, or at least one of the very few male screen queens. Yeah. And boy, does he scream pretty well. Oh my God, he screams. He screams so wonderfully. And so high-pitched, yeah. And it's a subversion on that well-to-do horror trope, and I did notice you have Men, Women, and Chainsaws on that social. I was sure when I... Red Memberman and Chainsaws a few years ago that they mentioned this movie. I think they did. I had a quick look through and I couldn't okay. find anything. I just looked at the index. Maybe I didn't look hard enough. But um, it, did, it did make me want to sort of read that again and about the final girls and screen queens and how this movie does subvert that by having... Uh, all of that. Uh, yeah. It subverts all of that. Mm. And Freddie is in this film for literally 15 minutes. I think it's 14 minutes. Yeah. Where the, and that, I think for me highlights that the film is less about Freddy Krueger and using Freddy as an idea. Mm. The body horror thing, I think, if you're using body horror, you're already playing with surrealism, you're already playing with metaphor. Yeah. And I think this is a really underrated movie. And even the end bit where it ends in the giant still work thing, and they've got the, the demon See, dogs. That bit, yeah, that was weird. Demon dogs with like baby's faces. Baby's faces, yeah. With no, yeah. Uh, no explanation to why those are there, no... It doesn't come back afterwards. Mm. I did think the last sort of 15 minutes in the steel mill dragged a little bit, to be honest. Okay. I felt it was... It just went it went on a bit too long. Fair, that's fair. That's fair. So overall, because you can clearly tell I love this film <laughs> with seven M's, uh, great soundtrack too. I love this sort yeah. of metallic... Clink, you know. But yeah, what did you think overall? Overall, I did like it. Yeah, I prefer the first one. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, have a lot, I have some technical issues with the film, but I do like the... I do like it very much on a thematic level. I think the subtext is good and it's an important film because, like you say, there aren't many queer horror films and this is clearly the most overt and mm -hmm. I'd say the best. During this uh, like planning of this episode, we were kind of going back and forth. You know, At one point I thought cruising, even though it's not, not really, really a horror, a horror film. film yeah. um, we'd already done Dress to Kill, you know, when you were talking about queer topics. Um, Could, yeah, that would have saying uh, Requiem for a Vampire. Still can't remember the other film I was thinking of. No. You, you uh, sent me a voice note and for about 30 minutes you went, oh, what's that? What's that film? You know, the... the, the you, you, like, you, you never got that. No, you, I, you I still, it, hasn't, it still hasn't come back. Yeah, you did suggest, um, what was it, Requiem for, for a Vampire. And maybe, maybe we could do, I've never seen it. I googled the plot and thought, that seems really heavy. <laughs> it's, it's great. It's okay. like surrealism with an erotic side. Okay. Um, very good. Maybe one day. We could do if we do, we could do erotic horror. We're getting sidetracked. We're getting sidetracked. Uh, but anyway, yeah, we we threw a few things about. Obviously, Nightmare on Street Two was if we're going to do queer horror, that's mm. already established. We're going to talk about that. Um, and then yeah, we bounced a few other news. I think you actually were the one that suggested our next film, but um, I really like the idea of doing that. So I went back and watched it again, and I think it's going to be an interesting film to talk about within the context of queer <laughs> horror. Without further ado, this is 2009's Jennifer's Body. You 
we are going out tonight. Wear something cute, okay? You always do what Jennifer tells you to do. It's just that I like the same things that she likes. Hey, Jennifer. You look really pretty. Why don't you just come by my place? Well, this is random. This isn't really your house, is it? We can play mommy and daddy. No way. We always share your bed when we have slumber parties. Jennifer's evil. I know. No, I mean, she's actually evil. Not high school evil. Chip is looking really cute to me lately. How is he tasting these days? You are never a good friend. You could have anybody that you want. Hi, Chip. You're killing people. No, I'm killing boys. Praise God. I thought you only murdered boys. I go both ways. I will finish you if I have to, okay? You can barely finish gym class. So, we open the film with um, the lead character, Needy Nesnicki, who is in an uh, insane asylum, uh, shown to be a sort of a violent and difficult inmate. Voiceover says, I wasn't always like this, and we flash back to when Needy is at school. It's a nickname in this today. It's uh, Anita Needy Lesnicki, but she's known as Needy throughout the film, so nickname, and that becomes quite significant. So, during her uh, school time, her best friend is Jennifer Check, played by Megan Fox, who's a popular cheerleader. Um, they don't have a hell of a lot in common, but they've been friends for many years. Uh, there's a line that's saying, sandbox love never dies. Uh, one evening, they go to a local bar to see an indie rock band, Low Shoulder. During this time, uh, a fire erupts, killing several people, after which Jennifer leaves with the band. Late that night, she turns up at Needy's apartment, uh, or house, or wherever she is, covered in blood, and then proceeds to vomit black CGI liquid all over the floor. She nearly bites Needy, but then leaves. The next morning, uh, the two of them are talking about what happened last night, and uh, Jennifer claims not to know anything about it. She, they also talk about the fire, and um, Jennifer is very dismissive of the fact that it was a tragedy. Uh, meanwhile, Low Shoulder, the indie band they go to see, um, start becoming very famous and popular uh, due to rumours that they were heroes on the night of the fire and saved people when in reality they didn't do anything. Shortly after this, Jennifer seduces the school's football captain and then later takes him out into the woods and disembowels and eats him. A few months pass during which Jennifer starts to become sort of sick and sort of anemic looking. She's growing weaker uh, and Needy's not sure why. Jennifer goes on a date with Colin, the sort of emo kid who Needy has a bit of a thing for, and brutally murders him. During this time, Needy and her boyfriend Chip start to have sex for the first time. During this, Needy gets sort of flashes of Jennifer killing the football captain, and then leaves leaves her boyfriend and runs out to uh, go try and find Jennifer. Jennifer then explains that during the night of the fire, Low Shoulder took her into the woods uh, to be a virgin sacrifice to Satan's for their fame and fortune. However, due to the fact that Jennifer wasn't actually a virgin, she doesn't die and is possessed by a demon. It gives her the need to eat human flesh, which then makes her incredibly powerful. There's a scene where she lights her, she sort of puts a lighter to her tongue and she's completely indestructible and doesn't feel pain. 
However, she does need to feed every few months or so. Needy tells this to her boyfriend, Chip, who doesn't believe her. Later on, during the school dance, Jennifer intercepts Chip on his way to the dance, takes him to an abandoned pool and begins feeding on him. Needy arrives and, and tries to save Chip. And they manage to impale Jennifer with a sort of pool shimmer thing, um, and Chip dies and Jennifer escapes. After that, Needy goes back to Jennifer's house, where she's weak at this point, she's not fed in a while. Um, and then they fight, during which Needy tears off Jennifer's best friend's forever necklace, and then Needy stabs Jennifer in the heart and kills her. At that moment, Jennifer's mum runs in, and then hence Needy being in the beginning of the film in this insane asylum after she's arrested. It's at this point that Needy reveals that because Jennifer bit her, she gains some of the demon's powers, and at this point, she breaks out of the asylum, hitches a ride with Lance Hendrickson for some reason, uh, and then in a post-credit sequence, we see her go to Low Shoulders Hotel and brutally murder all of them. So that's yeah, that's the summary of the of the movie. Um, it's it tackles a lot. This film, I'd say, I think I saw this for the first time. So it came out in two thousand nine. I think I saw it for the first time, maybe in sort of. 2011 or 12, like a few years after it came out, and I don't, I think I enjoyed it, but I definitely didn't appreciate all the stuff that was going on during the film. It wasn't too well received during its release. Um, a lot of the marketing was sort of focused around the potential romantic relationship with Jennifer and Needy. There's a scene where they kiss in the film, which I don't think they even mentioned, because to be honest, it's actually quite incidental. But a lot of the marketing was focused around this to try and get, like we were saying earlier, young men into the cinema because they are the predominant audience for horror. Whereas I think this film is not necessarily aimed at women, but it's a complex sort of um, exploration of the b between two female best friends, I think. And also a look at rape culture and all the stuff that's been explored in since the Me Too, Me Too movement all the stuff about toxic men and um, people taking advantage of women, all that is in this film um, a long time before it was really in the mainstream and a lot of people were talking about it. I think that's why this film wasn't really that well received at the time. And a, lot, yeah, a lot of people didn't like it or dismissed it as not being that important. But anyway, what do you think of this film? I like it. Okay. It's, I think, clearly targeted for... Young women, specifically bisexual women, okay, and gay men, okay, um, interesting. Yes, through and through. There's a uh, certain okay. tone that, that that it's sort of recreated in the early two thousand sort of stuff, stuff like Scream. Yeah, it's got that sort of quirky, fun. Again, Scream quite a, a popular film among the gays. Okay, it's got that kind of um, high school comedy bad bitch vibe. Yeah. Well, like I said, like we said earlier, it's written by Diablo Cody. I was wrong, actually. Diablo Cody is not her real name. It's her pen name. Her oh. actual name is Brooke Maria. I see why she changed it. It's not. That's not good as Diablo <laughs> Cody. But yeah, Diablo Cody, who um, she's written a lot of movies, but I'd say she's probably most famous for writing Juno, which oh. again was particularly famous for its uh, for its script, which she won an Oscar for, and the sort of quirky way that a lot of the characters talk. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's quirky. It's not too in your face. There are it's some, not annoying. It's not it's annoying. annoying, no. I think there were some 
really, there was some really good dialogue that I actually wrote down. I think at one point Jennifer says to me, what's wrong with you apart from the obvious surface flaws? Which made me actually genuinely laugh out loud. I thought that um, was very, very funny. Also, just to mention, J.K. Simmons is in this movie with hair. And it's so and a hook. And a hook and a for a hand. hand, which he's their teacher who's... Um, he's one of the few... There aren't many, like a lot of horror movies, there aren't that many um, adults mm. in the movie. And the ones that are there are fairly sort of disposable. So J.K. Simmons is one of the few... Yeah, like the main sort of adult, apart from counting like the, the band, who are, you know, the young adults who are the real antagonists of the movie. Um, and then you've also got so Jennifer's mum literally only appears at the end mm-hmm. when she finds her daughter's dead body, and then Needy's mum, who's played by Emmy Sedaris, is mostly sort of absent. You get the impression she's suffering from sort of mental health issues and um, doesn't seem to have the best relationship with Needy. And Lance Hendrickson's a creep. Lance Hendrickson is a creep who um, I wasn't sure if it was him at first, and then he spoke, yeah. and I was like, no, that's definitely yeah, Lance Hendrickson. Lance Hendrickson. I don't know. It, it clearly like deliberate cameo that um, that he's in there, but I couldn't quite work out why. And there's one other cameo that I didn't that I only realised until he left the screen. Chris Pratt. Yeah, Chris, Chris Pratt. Pratt is well, it's not even a cameo. This is just before. He oh, was just a, yeah, sure, yeah, sure. Yeah, Chris Pratt does play um, Jennifer's sort of boyfriend, who's a bit older than her. Yeah, yeah, that is, it was good. Yeah, good cast. Adam Brody. So uh, I don't think we mentioned uh, Amanda Se- uh, Amanda Seyfried. Seyfried. I never quite. Hey, Seyfried. Amanda Seyfried. She plays Needy, the uh, protagonist, and then Megan Fox obviously plays Jennifer. Jennifer. So the, again, the the movie was very much focused around. Megan Fox being a huge star at this time. Amanda Seyfried, she'd been in stuff with Mean Girls and she was well-known, but she wasn't the monumental star which Megan Fox was. And Megan Fox obviously was seen as a sex symbol at this point and had been in movies like Transformers where Michael Bay shoots the film around her in the most leery and gratuitous way. So all the marketing was focused around Megan Fox and partially around the kiss between the two characters at that point, the poster is her with, you know, like, showing off her legs. It, it The marketing, I think, does try to sexualise Megan Fox in this film. But then in the actual movie, the direction, it completely subverts that. There's the scene where she's, after she kills her first victim, and she's swimming, uh, swimming in the lake like a predator, like a shark. She gets out of the lake, and any other male director would have, you know, been all over shooting her body and making it very gratuitous and sexy, but it shoots everything but her body. It just shoots her face and, like, her hands, and it completely shoots around everything, and I thought it was a really interesting scene. Well, similar to Nightmare 2, there's no female nudity in this film at all. No, Uh, there's a lot of... There's scenes where Megan Fox will unzip her uh, jacket and you think you're going to see her boob, but you never do. It dances around all that and never actually shows anything titillating. And again, you can totally tell this is a film which was directed by a woman and then written by a woman as well. Mm-hmm. There is a bit to talk about in this film about queer horror. Like, it does, I think, its examination of, like, the complex relationship between best friends um, that's explored and the sort of potential queerness of that. And I think it is seen as a sort of early film to potential tackle, uh, tackle bisexuality. Ne- neither character are gay. They might be bi, they might sort of just be curious, but they, they both have relationships with men, Needy's got a boyfriend who I think is a pretty rubbish character. And he looks about... I know, I quite liked him. Yeah. I, I thought he was quite sweet and endearing, actually. Yeah, but she does definitely care for him. But in terms of a queer horror movie, I think there's so much 
more going on than I'd say the sort of queerness of the film is like five or ten percent, whereas there's so much else going on. You know, I think of it as a uh, a, a feminist film before I think of it as a queer horror film. Sure. Well, I think it's kind of like operating within that sort of zeitgeist. You know, yeah. I think um, Needy is clearly bi. Okay. And the fact that um, Jennifer stole her boyfriend yeah. from her and then she goes out and kills her. Mm. There's a bit where Jennifer calls Needy Butch as well. But, God, you're so Butch. Yeah. And I swing both ways. Yeah, um, that's it. And yeah. though it's peppered on, I don't think it's at the core of it, but it is talking about all these issues and all these... Yeah. Like I said, I think this film is predominantly for bisexual women. Yeah. And I think it deals a lot with, from what I am told, bisexual women kind of go through and that sort of growing up, even though I think yeah. the film is, 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 is centred around, you know, the complex relationship of female best friends yeah, and the I emotional right. heights and lows. Yeah. But it's also a nice gateway into... Yeah. And I, th- I like the film doesn't, like, it doesn't define their sexuality and it's not interested in doing mm. that. And I, I always like that in a film. Mm. But you said this, you did, you do view this as a film for gay men as a bit of a sort of gay iconic Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Why? What would you say, um, what components would a movie have um, need to have to sort of um, make that make it that kind of film. so definitely gay coda okay whatever that is yeah you know, or however it's expressed um, definitely the two main characters sassy badass women yeah that shit talk throw insults at each other yeah are still boy obsessed well not boy obsessed they're still boy conscious that's the thing they're not boy they, they are boy conscious but they're not boy obsessed, they're not boy obsessed which, again is what I like uh, Another thing I like about that film, it's not just about them finding boyfriends mm. or um, anything like that. It's And, and um, like the relationship with Needy and her boyfriend as well. She's not pressured into sex. She, they, they have sex at the time because, yeah. because she wants to. Um, both women are sort of in control in that regard throughout the movie. And that's why it's nice to see, you know, a lot of the horror film is just drenched in female... I would say female sexuality, but in in the more lurid sense, this yeah. is there's a freedom of sexuality, yeah, and constant nudity isn't just like female nudity isn't just thrown onto mm. the screen. So aesthetically, it is almost catering yeah. for gay men in that sense. Okay, and it's refreshing to see. You know, one of the some of the most drab parts in horror is when you just got naked women walking around. It's you know, the op- I love Carrie. The opening is maybe the least interesting yeah. part um, until she bleeds. <laughs> yeah, and then there's some drama yeah. but also the tone of it the soundtrack we, I mean this is where we where I start to like branch off some maybe other gay men okay. the soundtrack I hated the soundtrack okay. I, 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 just, I hate that indie rock I don't I don't know if you're like the, the music that Low Shoulder the band in the film are um, playing I don't know if you're supposed to like that I think is it meant to be a bit sort of like generic and drab well the, I'm glad because the band are terrible but also the music they play yeah um but it, it, it so captures that early 2000, late 90s vibe that a lot of gay men resonate with when it comes to movies like, like I said, Scream, She's Not That Into You. Um, what was the one with Hugh Joker? Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger. Oh, Ten Things I Hate Ten About Things You. Ten Things I Hate That's About You. fantastic movie. I but, love that film. Exactly. A lot of gay men will agree with you because it has that sort of fun camp sitcom TV show yeah. camp aesthetic to it. Okay. I get the... Yeah, I think there is a camp sort of aesthetic in this movie. Um, and it knows it. And it, yeah. even though it's not play, it's not leaning into it, which it's is not cooler because it, it's still no, coded. Yeah. Again, it's very well written. It's, it's Everything is quite well balanced. Um also, another in terms of it being a feminist film, all the victims in this movie are men. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, they sort of have... So, both of the main characters in this film 
go out and um, kill men using their abilities. Megan Fox, Jennifer, uses her sexuality to lure men in before she devours them. But then Needy, at the end, after she gets some of the demon powers, she goes, she, yeah, she hitches a ride, goes to Low Shoulders Hotel. It annoys me that it's um, not, we don't actually see the sequence in full. It's sort of like, you know, in The Hangover when they do the, um, the photos. Oh, so the camera room, the yeah. It's like that. It's just all the sort of photos. of You don't even see Needy kill them. You just see their dead bodies and everything. I wish we could have seen all Fair, that scene. Okay. But anyway, like, you've got the contrast of Jennifer using her sexuality to lure her victims and then Needy who just goes to the hotel and just kills all of them. And they are, but, you know, they... You could say that Megan Fox's character is sort of the villain of this film because she's the possessed one who goes around killing people, but she is ultimately still a victim. It is uh, the band who are the real bad guys. Incidentally, Adam Brody plays the leader of the band, and I thought he was so good in this film. He's was him. Yes, it was like him. such a despicable piece yeah. of shit, but he's really, really funny. I like him in everything he's yeah. in, actually. Talking about the Me Too movement, yeah. it, within those cultures of bands and groupies. Yeah. Funny we were talking about Spree earlier, about what people do to be famous. Yeah. And yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a little like Rosemary's Baby. They make this sacrifice and, and kill a woman so they can get you know their fame and fortune. And yeah, Jennifer is completely disposable to them. Mm. No gripe whatsoever with um, killing a woman. Mm. But with the context of now Me Too, the murder kind of, you could argue, takes metaphors for a slightly more lurid act yes. with the context of people like Harvey Weinstein and this real push now to really root out abusive and mm. predatory behaviour within the high yeah. echelons of I think yeah absolutely yeah because she she's not raped in this film but it's almost like a metaphor for mm. that yeah mm. um, and she even says to the man are you rapists? Yeah. yeah and she's like I'll do anything yeah you know. And then, yeah, but then she's, she's murdered instead. Incidentally, I think this film almost... Have you seen Promising Young Woman? Yes. Yeah, yes, I've seen that. Okay. Yes, yes. One of the best films yes. of the last 10 years. I know some people that really don't like it, actually. Really, so, <laughs> but I do think this film is a bit of a, a precursor for that. Sure. I, I would imagine that sure. might have been quite um, influential um, in making that film. Where, and that's a film that, yeah, really like properly tackles sort of um, rape culture and toxic men and um, all of that stuff in a very clever way which is also like this film also is a bit of a comedy at times mm -hmm. as well does it very well well it's doing like, I, I feel almost this film was ahead of its time because the, mm. the, the language wasn't there yet yeah and this is why I think I it went th over yeah the language was there but it wasn't mainstream um, I don't know if it was fully fully yeah. fleshed out or even fully verbalised mm. it, it's a, you know it's what not to get political it's what the right always likes to throw at the yeah. left going you guys have no ideas yeah. or it's this abstract you know we're, 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 we should address the fact that we are two men talking about this and that we this might not be, um, we, we aren't as in tune um, with a lot of the toxic culture that I'm sure women pick up on a lot more than mm. we do mm. from that privileged standpoint. <laughs> like I say, I think there's a lot going on in this film. It's quite a hard film to dissect, um, but I do really, really like it. Um, and I think, yeah, I'm glad that you say it does function well as a queer mm. Also, we were saying earlier, some cool little Evil Dead tram radio where she vomits up the blood yeah. and the blood then moves. Yeah, um, and some dated CGI. Some dated CGI. But CGI yeah. always looks dated. It's true. But it does, yeah. again, fit into the sort of like campy yeah. sort of uh, notion of it. We were saying great writing, some really fun dialogue. What was it? Oh, you're such a... A lesgay. Was that it at the beginning where she calls her a lesgay? A lesgay. Yeah, I thought that was great. There's also this... Um, Reminded me a lot of Heathers as well. Okay. Uh, with the sort of, you know, you've got the band and 
It's doing a lot because it is also, I feel, was sort of talking about what we now see with school shootings, where we have this tragedy that happens around school kids or uh, yeah. near school premises. And the sort of fetishization of that, how yes. everyone, like, you know, the, the, their, their town becomes famous because of all the tragedies yes. and the media are all over it and yeah. everything. And it's then at the end, you know, shock after shock, and no one's yeah. really talking about the shock. Again, which did remind me of Heather's, where it's yeah. got the whole suicide cult shock. Yeah, thing. yeah, I think there is that as well, yeah. Also, I just want to mention the fact they have a sort of... I don't know quite what to make of it, and again, I wish it was explored a bit more, but they I think I know what you're going to say. They, the psychic link that the two characters have. Oh, you okay. Don't, you, don't, you didn't know what I was going to I say. I didn't, but that's... So, I, I'm glad, but you reminded me. So, the, the devil, the whirl hole, where oh, at the beginning, yeah. where they set that up, and so, she okay. finds a knife. So, two things. Uh, but you didn't know what I was going to say. Film, yeah, we're not on the same page. Throughout the film, even before Jennifer gets possessed as well, Needy and Jennifer have this sort of psychic link where they they kind of know what each other's doing, and I think that is it's sort of like a personification of the best friend relationship mm. they have and the complexities of that. But I do wish it was a bit it was explained a little bit. And yeah, there's also this um, the town they live in, which is it called Hell's Bucket. <laughs> Devil's, Devil's Kettle. Devil's Kettle. <laughs> <laughs> the town they live in, Devil's Kettle. That's better than Hell's Bucket. Fair enough. There is a, a waterfall, and this is near where the site that um, Jennifer is sacrificed by the band. There is a whirlpool at the bottom of this waterfall, which supposedly goes down to the centre of the earth. I was sure when I, before, I had forgotten a lot of the details of the film, I was sure when I started watching it, that someone was going to get thrown down there. But that, but that, never, <laughs> that never happens. Well, I'm glad they set it up at the beginning as like this little throwaway thing. And they do, yeah. it does sort of come back in a couple of points. Yeah, yeah. The climax in the swimming pool is a direct reference, I think, to Cat People, okay. the original, which is also considered a gay-coded film about yeah. repressed lesbians. Yeah, okay. Uh, Interesting. And Extra. You ever seen Extra? No. The 80s video nasty. Famous for a scene where an alien uh, walks on its back legs with its head turned, much like in this, where she eats someone, and then there's a quick shot with Amanda Seyfried looking at her through the car window, and she's on her back legs. Okay. There was some cool horror. I thought there was some effective, there's creepy some good moments. horror, actually. yeah, and I think it's definitely made by people who um, understand the genre. Yes. Jennifer Cody is a famous big horror fan. The director, right, I'm going to try and pronounce her name, Karen Kusama. I think I got that right. Karen Kusama. You made it sound so easy after um, all that. After all the stumbles. So she's made, um, I haven't seen a lot of her films, but she made a film in 2015 called The Invitation, which I think you watched with me about the dinner party. So I always, you always said we'd watch it together. I can't remember. I then watched it three weeks ago. Oh, uh, okay. She directed that. Yes, that was did. really good. I, I, I really enjoyed I've that. I've seen <laughs> The Invitation about four times now, and I think it actually might be in my like top 10 favourite films of all time. I think okay. It's, masterpiece. okay. It's, it's just a film about this... Uh, Tightrope tension. We won't go into it, but it's yeah, about a, a, a dinner party and an estranged couple who meet at this dinner party after a tragedy. But it's just one of the best acted and paced. And it, it, it is a horror film, but it's not. It's just, it's just brilliant. Just watch The Invitation. It's really good. Um, so, yeah, both both people who made Rosemary's Baby know what they're doing in terms of horror. Jennifer's um, body. What did I say? Rosemary's baby. <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer's body. Well, and Roman Polanski clearly knows what he's doing. Okay. You know. All right, we need to wrap this up. Um, so we thought we would add. Well, last for our last episode, we introduced um, a segment. But we may carry on with after this. Uh, Willem Dafoe's segment. I have a film. Paolo's idea. I have a film. We're doing it this week as well. Okay. This. this I have two films. films. Okay. So do you want to do the? 
Willem... What, what's this section called? You came up with it. What's Willem been in this month? What's Willem been in this month? Okay. Cool. Nothing. 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 Nothing this month. Okay. So, I went back and watched New Rose Hotel, okay. directed by Abel Ferrara, who um, we should probably talk about at some point. Sure. Um, it stars Christopher Walken. Nice. Willem Dafoe and Aziar Argento. Okay, Argento's daughter. Argento's daughter. Oh, okay. uh, it's a bit of a, um, it's a crime film where they have to, they use Argent, uh, Aziar, who is a prostitute, to get her into a building so they can steal some high, valuable information. It's a shame because I really like Abel Ferrara. I think most of his films are worth watching, but it was a bit humdrum. Okay. But highlighted by the fact that you had Christopher Walken and Willem Dafoe playing criminals yeah the film was just too small for them they just you know roared over Christopher Walken in particular is a big presence big presence big presence love them both fantastic yeah, and they're great in this it's just I wish the backdrop was a different film okay and it's just because I like April Ferrara too and then I also watched well I actually watched Infomaniac part one and two the director's cut okay. and obviously Willem Dafoe is in the sequel okay and that's a lot yeah it's like Four hours. I haven't watched. Um, um, I, I don't. I, second one okay. is better, I think. Second one's better. Okay. I don't, I don't. I don't have a hell of a lot of time for Lars von Trier and his incredibly bleak and nihilistic outlook on everything. I like them. Antichrist. Antichrist is one of the few ones. House I've seen. of Jack Bill. I've seen that as well. Idiot. I like all of them more than Nymphomaniac Part One. I like Nymphomaniac Part Two better. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So <coughs> that's, yes. that's what Willem has been in this week. Once. Um, and also, we're introducing a new element, um, a quiz that we will both be doing. So we have each come up with three questions to ask one another, and whoever answers all three of them right wins, I guess. You know? Sure, what should sure. we go? Um, I don't know, I'll figure... We'll, Maybe we'll the figure, listeners we'll can send us something. Okay, listeners, you have to send the winner something, whatever you like, um, whoever wins, unless we both get all of them right, and then we both win. We can buy each other something. So... Question one. What was 1973's Texas Chainsaw Massacre's working title? Cheesehead. Cheddarhead. No. I'm close. You're close. Cheese face. No, I don't think you're gonna get it. No, you've had too many attempts. Okay. Head cheese. Head cheese! Head cheese Head was cheese. the working title. Terrible title. Glad that he go with that. Yes. Okay, so you didn't get that one. You came close, but you didn't get it. Right, question two. Only five films have ever won the big five at the Oscars, which is Best Picture, Director, Screenplay, and Actor and Actress. One of those films is a horror film. Name that film. Sorry, say that again. Sorry. What three films have won the big five at the Oscars? One of those films, only three, any three films ever made have won the big five at the Oscars. But one of those films is a horror movie. Can you name that film? I think it might be two. Okay. Well, it's one, but... It's yeah, I think you've got to pick one. I think that's how we're doing this. We'll do what you want, and one where you get it wrong. Get out. No. Silence of the Lambs. It's Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, you can yeah. get out one uh, screenplay for Jordan Peele, which was a, a pretty big deal. Yeah. No, I knew it. I knew it. I guess you could argue that Silence of the Lambs may not technically be a horror film. That's why I was... That's why I didn't say it. Okay. That's, why, that's why I didn't say it. Well, maybe I'll we'll give you a half point for that. I'll take it. Okay, I'll give you a half point for that. Question three, final question. Shudder is a streaming website that exclusively makes horror films, but when did this service launch? Oh, good question. Oh, 
2014. Ooh, 15. 15. Fuck! I was gonna say that, man. So close. Oh. So close. That's a shame. So I got half a point. Point out three. That's rubbish. That is rubbish. Terrible. Okay. Um, now you're with the actor. Yeah. In Friday the Thirteenth Part One. The character or the uh, the actor? The character. Character. Pamela Voorhees. Fuck's sake. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know you were saying. I've that. seen Scream. Right. That's the trick. That yeah. Okay. What was Hellraiser initially called? What the the movie? What was its original title? Yeah. Or oh, I don't know. Um, I think like I have heard this. Something um, Philip Barbary or Lovecrafty. I don't know. I don't know. Is, is the answer? Invasion of the Sadomasochistic Aliens. Ah, okay. That's exactly what it says in Latin. Exactly. Okay. What famous person's wife was in Dario Argento's Tenebrae? What famous person's wife was in Tenebrae? I give you. Tenebrae. They were in politics, this person. Will I know this person? Yeah, everyone knows this person. Everyone knows this person. Yeah. Okay, uh, which one's Tenebra again? The Anarchy one. Oh yeah, the Rats. No, I'm, no, no, it's, it's oh, the... Oh, the one, I know the one you talking yeah. about. Um, what famous person's um, wife? Uh, not the name of the person, not the name of the person in the film, but the name of the famous person's husband. Uh, okay, um, Ronald Reagan. Yeah. No. no. Silvio Berlusconi. I don't know who that is. Yeah, no, he was the Italian Prime Minister for like, uh, like seven years. But when? About five years ago, five, six years ago. I don't know Italian politics. Berlusconi oh, was quite, like everyone knew. Okay, well, maybe I'm, maybe I'm just ignorant. But anyway, I got your first question right, which means I got one point, you got half one. So I win. Okay, so you can have. Does anyone know who Berlusconi They probably do. You are Italian. Yeah. So, but Silvio Berlusconi is big, man. Like he, he, he famously would have like um, Nazi sex orgies where people would dress up as Nazis. He said he was prime minister of Italy seven years ago. Yeah. No, I'm not saying he was a good prime minister. I'm not saying he was a good guy. Okay. But he was a guy who was married to this woman, in, okay. and that's why Tenebrae was cut because her death scene, when she gets her arm chopped off, he was like, "No, no one's gonna kill up my wife." Uh, okay. And. <laughs> So they cut it out. Okay. That's why Argento never voted for. Well, was, he's always been left, but that's why Argento okay. refuses now. That's to, why. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. To be fair, we came up with these questions a bit on the fly. I, I remember a few minutes before you arrived. <laughs> I think you wrote yours while we were recording. I didn't even do it. I didn't even write it because okay. I was worried I was gonna. Okay. It. We'll uh, we'll do better than that next time. But yeah, we can make that a regular thing along yeah. with what's Willem in this week, this month. Find out next month. Find out next month. Okay, um, I think that about wraps it up. Yeah, happy Pride Month. Happy Pride Month. This will, yeah, shame this will, um, we didn't do this episode, so it actually came out in June. Pride, but I mean, yeah. London Pride is uh, this this weekend. Actually. Yeah, am I might. Oh, actually, I might go. I'm going. Oh, are you? Yeah. Okay. I'm going London Pride and Brighton Pride this week. Oh, you're not even gay. <laughs> you're doing better. Than me. <laughs> I might see you then because I, I think I've got the day off, or at least some of it off. Let's, we'll plan this out. All right, cool. Yeah, yeah, cool. All right. So, stay scary. And we will see you in the next one. Yeah, whatever that will be. Yeah, happy Pride Month. Not too many poppers. Stay safe. Bye.